This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. What's up, everyone? And welcome to another special episode of IndiePod, where we get to talk to the people behind some of our favorite indie games. Today, we have Miro Straka, the developer behind the upcoming title known as Loot River. Thanks for joining. Hey, thank you, Josh. Thank you for having me. Hi, everyone. <laughs> I, you know what's funny is I've done this a number of times, and I don't think I've ever had anyone introduce themselves to the audience. It's usually just to me. So I, I, I appreciate you saying hello to everyone listening. <laughs> I'm glad you could make it, though, because I, I love the idea of this game, of mashing this puzzle and adventure game into one. Um, but before we get into the game, I always like to start off with just who are the people behind these games, right? So, uh, Miro, tell me a little bit about yourself. How did you get into game creation in the first place? I think that's like a little bit, you know, complicated. It's not as straightforward as for some people that go like, oh, I want to make games and then they make games for me. It's like, just stumbling around and then just falling into it and being kind of like, yeah, this is okay. I can, you know, keep doing it. <laughs> like, you know, I studied architecture uh, and I actually finished architecture, but it's like a really shit job somehow, especially oh. in Europe. You know, like you work long hours and the salary is horrible and whatever. But I was always like making little things on the side, you know, little visual experiments or little codes uh, and like just like doodles and mm -hmm. posting it on Tumblr. And one of these was like, what would become even later Euclidean Lens, my first game like this. It was like a little game where you rotated a cube, like Rubik's Cube, and had a little fights on it. And then just randomly some dude reached out to me like, hey, this is awesome. And can I write an article about it or something? I was like, yeah, whatever, you know. But it turned out that the guy was from like Pocket Gamer. And he okay. really thought it's an actual video game. And he wrote an article about it being an actual video game, despite it being only like five gifts. And I was like, okay, I'm making video games now. <laughs> and then I just, you know, like I just kept at it for like two years after school and after work and whatever. And then like, you know, it came out and it was quite a success. And I was just like, yeah, this is you know, nice. I could get it. Wow. So one, one person's mistake started your whole career. I mean, you know, like in one year from now, I could be doing something completely different. So I wouldn't really call it a career. It's just like, you know, <laughs> just going through life and seeing what sticks, right? Yeah. I mean, hey, I honestly, from a personal perspective, I've been doing the same thing. It's literally where I've just gone from kind of role to role because it just fit me at the time and I've just been enjoying what I do. And I think it's a, you know, there's some people who, who want to have that very meticulous plan and they got to live by that, that book. Right. But I think yeah. there, for others, yeah. uh, there's a lot of joy from just doing what excites you in that moment. Right. Yeah. And especially like if it works out and if it provides for you, mm -hmm. it's just like, why not? You know, like <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome though. Okay. So, so, one of the biggest things about this, and you kind of mentioned, you know, your, your other previous games before Loot River, um, I can't help but notice there is a vast difference in Loot River versus your previous projects. What what inspired you to go from, you know, uh, some of these more mobile games to now creating this full fledged, you know, two D action roguelike type game? Um, money. I mean, 
<laughs> like, you know, like, like, as I said, like, Euclidean lens was like kind of a student thing or whatever. And it was done on a budget of like 500 euros or something. Mm-hmm. And, uh, with Loot River, I, I kind of got like super hot involved and they provided budget for me to like scale things up and like make an actual game that is rather large. Yeah. Uh, so I was like, yeah, you know, why not? And let's why not? Try. Let's do this. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, you know, but like, it's also, I think like skill and experience comes to play. Like, you know, like Ukraine lands, Ukraine skies are turn-based combat uh, and like rather simplistic, like locked levels and just like sequence of puzzles and everything like that, like super controlled. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was possible to, to be done by a single person uh, with like basically no budget. But then when you can do it, uh, I think it's exciting to try to scale things up because essentially both Loot River and Euclidean Lands and Euclidean Skies are about the same thing in, in, in like the very core of it. And that is the manipulation of the world. It's just that the things that they are doing are a little bit different, but what they are telling you or what, what is happening in them is for me, at least very much similar, you know? Right. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I think that makes sense. Um, I'd love to take a step back to talk about kind of how you got involved with Superhot and what that um, was like for you. You know, going from being a person that's doing everything on their own, having that smaller budget. Uh, how did you go about, you know, reaching out to these these uh, larger, uh, you know, publishers or these other individuals? At what point were you like, I have something that could be great for you know, whatever it is, but I need help with, you know, uh, a bigger budget or a bigger team or more resources, right? Okay. I like, so, you know, like after Euclidean Skies and like Euclidean Lens and Euclidean Skies, they sold pretty well, you know, they sold all around like, I don't know, 200,000 units, which was like on iOS for a single person, which was pretty good. And mm-hmm. then I was like, you know, I could do something else, or, but I was actually pretty tired and I just wanted to do like this small thing, you know, like maybe four months, like flop out some mobile game, and whatever, just just to do something. Mm-hmm. And I, I knew I wanted to make it about like these sliding puzzles, right? You know, like uh, like essentially like Loot River kind of is. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, like uh, I, I've made like five smaller mobile games about it and it all felt shit. Like because oh, it was like no. turn-based puzzlers, you know, like and, and you like you move the puzzle, then you move the character and like, you know, the obvious shit that, you know, sorry, can I swear on this? Or yes, you can't swear. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and so like, uh, you know, and, and then I was stumbling and then it was like taking like six, nine months or whatever. Uh, and it was going nowhere, just like weird prototypes of things. Uh, and uh, I think like at one point I just decided to try it with violence, you know, and I just like <laughs> added shit ton of blood and some, you know, random animations and weapons and made it a co-op game. Uh-huh. And that's, that's around the time I like somehow randomly some... Like there's some, there was some, some game dev meetup in Vienna where Callum Underwood, uh, was invited. He's like a business person that also represents, uh, super hot present and, and, you know, a bunch of other people. Yeah, and I was yeah, just yeah. like, you know, some friends like called me there. So I was like, why not? You know, we can go there, play the game, whatever. And they were like really into it. Like at that point when it was like fast paced. Uh-huh. Uh, but they were not so much into like the co-op thing, you know, because they were like, you know, co-op doesn't really sell that way or it's like risky. Like if you can figure out single player gameplay of this, that would actually, you know, could be something. Uh-huh. Uh, and actually it was like all three of them, like there were three business people were interested in it, but 
at that point, it was very tricky for me to figure out single player because it's like, from technical perspective, usually you have like static navigation mesh on which the AI of the enemies is moving, right? Right. So like, right. so like it's a forest, and the forest is essentially always the same, you know. But in this case, it's like it's it's changing several times a second, you know. It's, it's changing all the time, like the whole landscape of the navigation is actually changing. So it was quite a big problem. Yeah. But after some time, I've had some basic prototype, and then I made like a basic video and. Uh, I remember that like Callum was super positive about it. Uh, and I was like, maybe I could, you know, get some money and, and you know, hire some better people than me to, you know, figure <laughs> these, these things out. And uh, so I was just, I just sent him an email like, hey, Callum, I'm, I'm thinking of like pitching to publishers or something. You know, it's just like innocent email like that, you know, like I'm not asking for simple money. I'm just like asking for your opinion because you were into it. Right, right, just some uh, advice, but, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then he immediately he was like, "Oh, you know, we actually would like this for Superhot." Uh, right. And uh, then you know we had Superhot people, and uh, I, but at that time, because you know, like to send this email, you need to prepare like the pitch deck, or in this case, it was a pitch website. Uh, so I, when I had that finished, I was obviously reaching out to other publishers just to see, like, you know. Because right, Superhot right. is not really a publisher, they are a fund, but I, I thought maybe, you know, I could do a publisher or whatever. So just, uh, so I was just sending it to a bunch of people, seeing how they react, what can they offer, and then comparing the things. But ultimately, I went with uh, Superhot because they are, uh, you know, I met Calm personally, they are good, they are a fund, not a publisher, so it's a little bit different, and I can try different things, and uh, yeah, yeah. Whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's a good relationship, right? Because you already know them, like you mentioned, but since they're not like primarily a publisher, it's a lot of both you and super hot learning at the same time and being more, you know, uh, more forgiving. Maybe that's not the, the best word, but like more um, easygoing with certain things that a normal publisher who has their, you know, their own stakes in the ground and has all of their procedures and policies already set up it might be, they might not be as lenient, right? As super hot might be. It's, in certain it's, it's honestly crazy. Like they're like, I don't know, like two or three pages of contract. And then they're just like, here's the money and we don't care. And that's about <laughs> it, you know? <laughs> just do whatever. Like obviously if I need something, I can always reach out and use the contacts or whatever. But essentially this is like super off-hands deal. And it like, I really like it. That's great. I mean, that's, that's really the indie dream, right? Is like, you know, you said it kind of as a joke, but it's, it's amazing that one of the biggest things when people say like, oh, their definition of an indie is usually they say, well, you have to publish it on your own as well, which I don't necessarily agree with. But there are some people who have that definition of like, you do everything on your own, that's indie, right? But you're essentially getting that same freedom that people love about indie games of the creativity, the passion, the 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 be able to ability to make your own decisions and kind of stick to them, and that's exactly what you're getting. But also having that extra budget to really help you achieve that. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's great, honestly. Like that's I would awesome. do it again, over and over, and over. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so um, I'm I'm assuming you know we we talked a little bit before this and you mentioned you're kind of like the the main developer on this project obviously, um, but you're also leaning on a few other individuals when it comes to uh, aspects when it like a development standpoint that you might not have knowledge in right um, are these 
kind of solo, just like contracts, uh, like contractors that you're getting? Are there people that are part of this team or is it just you that will then work with someone on the side when uh, issues come up that you can't handle? Yeah, so like the answer is yes, yes to all of them, but it's, uh, you know, like, uh, uh, so we, like for the first year or so, I, I only like always took like, you know, contractor for like limited amount of time like you know like alex did the water it was like a one or two month thing and then he was gone on to other projects because that's his thing mm -hmm. uh, or you know like Yulia doing some ui work and then going for other things and whatever but uh, and then we have like obviously sound and music that's a contractor but they are also like based in vienna so it's a little bit closer relationship but now i have uh ryan and emmet and they are mostly full-time. I actually would say they are full-time. They are working four days a week uh, only on uh, on this project now. Okay, wow. So, you know, uh, Ryan is like, he's, uh, he, he used to work uh, in the Moon Studios uh, as a level designer. You know, they did like the Ori and the Blind Forest thing. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Uh, and he's now doing level design for Loot River. And Emmet is, uh, uh, he's actually a friend of Ryan's. Uh, they are from uh, Ireland and he's helping with like, uh, you know, publishing, uh, public, uh, sorry, console code and uh, like all the console porting stuff and some right. programming issues, some optimization and uh, like all the, you know, boring stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and they are really great. Like, I, I, I think it's, yeah, Loot River wouldn't be what it is without them, definitely, if it even would be. So, yeah. Nice. Wow. That's, I mean, it's exciting, especially since like you said, that's the boring part, but somebody has got to do it. So it's good that someone is working on it. Um, but let's, let's actually dive into the game now, right? Let's talk about loot river. For those who don't know anything about the game, what's your elevator pitch for this? So like elevator pitch was like, uh, dark souls meets Tetris just because yeah. it's kind of like what the fuck phrase, you know, like it catches attention, right? So it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's more of an elevator pitch for journalists or for people to talk about than uh, actual, uh, you know, uh, right, right. game description. But it's essentially, you know, you control a character and at the same time you control a piece of the world that the character is standing on and you can like reorganize these sort of blocks or pieces of dungeon that are floating on like this beautiful water uh and uh you use this to overpower your enemies that would otherwise totally destroy you yeah that's uh it's a good description of it um i really like this idea when i first saw this game i was blown away because i thought it was just such a cool concept that i really don't think i've seen anywhere else of being able to move the world around you while you're still at the same time continuously having to worry about your placement on those blocks that are moving around you and also dealing with enemies and things that are happening in the world you talked a little bit about it from starting with kind of a, a puzzle game and just working your way into it but like what was the inspiration that really pulled you into saying let's mash up these two genres that commonly are not a part of each other i think it wasn't so much of an inspiration as it was desperation at that point interesting <laughs> Like, uh, you know, as I said, like, uh, like the first iteration was, I think you were like a deer and going through forest where bad, bad people were building stuff and you needed to make a path through the forest or some shit like that, you know, like oh, whatever, like mobile okay. game. And you, yeah, you yeah. slowly those blogs and then you made a path. Then it was kind of like you were trying to get to a lighthouse. That was also bad. Then it was like, 
uh, like this really developed idea of like Bojacky comic style thing where you were escaping from managers at work using these bots. So it's like the whole story. And these were like really developed games, you know, like you could play like one hour of each, like, and really polish. And yeah. then it was like, oh, we had this amazing thing. It was like this inception style of thing that like, you know, you had your sliding block and you slid it and you made the path, but then you like zoomed out and figured out that the whole level was just another sliding block in a bigger oh. piece of sliding blocks. And you could like, you know, zoom in, zoom out on multiple levels and then like reshuffle it all. And it was like, uh, you know, then we had some like with organic shit, whatever, but it was always like, it was kind of interesting, but for about 10 minutes. And then it was just boring, you know? And... <laughs> Uh, and these were all like 3D games. Uh, I was doing with my friend Rene, and then we just like uh, decided to just stop it. Like we just yeah. stopped working on this altogether, uh, and we both just went uh, doing something else. Uh, and uh, I, I was still thinking, you know, about it because it was like nine months of development. Like you know, like there's something with these sliding blocks, you know, like you definitely could do something. And I was still trying to figure out what was that. And then like, I just was like, you know, just like, fuck it, let's try the one thing that I'm afraid of because I'm not very good at like, you know, animating or making like real time world thingies, you know? Uh -huh, uh, uh -huh. So, and I just added like, uh, you know, real time control. And uh, the easiest way for me to have a combat there was to add a corp with a second controller. And uh, the procedural generation at that point was just like randomly picking random, you know, blocks and putting them somewhere. And the camera was always moving, always pushing. So you needed to like maneuver. And yeah. it was like super fun playing it, you know, like just like it was something different because like you look at it and you would expect like it's some sort of puzzle. But in the end, it was just like this hectic mesh of weird stuff going on. And it was like very exciting. Like, so, yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, then for some random reason, I decided to, to, to put pixel art on it and then, of course, and then it's just like, yeah. Uh, so, you know, it was very iterative and, uh, uh, it was never like this kind of brilliant idea that, uh, you know, people sometimes imagine that other people have, but, but right, it's, right. it's it rarely just... like that. Yeah, it just slowly started to come together piece by yeah. piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was changing so much and so like uh, so long and uh, until it became what it is. And it's also like, you know, figuring out the technical challenges of it that are like uh, not what you usually see in games. So it's not like there's no clear answer on how to how to proceed with the problem or how to approach it. And, uh, right, right. and you just do something really weird and yeah <laughs> that was that was actually one of the things i wanted to talk about because i'm a person who plays a lot of roguelike games i am familiar with you know procedurally generated type levels and seeing things that are you get it with like something like spelunky or the binding of isaac where there's uh you know a little bit of repetition you'll see as you continually play through the game right you notice little patterns here and there um but i i think this one is interesting because it feels like there are areas, I just recently played the demo of this game, there are areas where there very much were little tiny puzzles in, in the effect of you will have to rotate the pieces that you're standing on in a certain way to get through the area. And 
I thought this was so interesting because from a procedural generation perspective, was this a, a really big um, technical concern on how to make sure like yeah, you know, no the, the user doesn't get screwed up in, in a, a way where the puzzle just doesn't fit? So, so, you know, like the first level is like this wooden level, right? Uh, like yeah. where everything is just like one elevation. So like it's on the first floor, everything's on one floor. So you can go from any platform to any platform if you can connect them, right? Yep. So this, in theory, uh, could work as a procedural generation, like as a normal idea of procedural generation, because, you know, you could always make sure that, like, you can find some blocks to connect them or whatever, you know, like the, right, there right, are ways right, right, to make this. And you could make some puzzles and whatever. But at the point where you edit the stairs and, like, mm -hmm. the, the one piece that, of the dungeon that is higher than the other, and when you connect those two, you cannot cross. And so what happens is uh, no matter how how we approached this procedural generation, uh, it would always happen uh, that you get stuck at some point. Like maybe not <laughs> in every run, but 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 it would happen. And then now imagine you're a player, you've put like two hours into your run, and now through no fault of yours, you cannot continue. That's just like going to piss you off so bad and you're going to leave yeah. such a negative review, right? So, uh, and this, this was quite a problem. I think for a while we've had like respawn points or, or, or like, you know, kind of teleports you or whatever. So, but uh, actually what we've come up with now, I think is really brilliant. And I think also Spelunky or Dead Cells is using similar approach. So what we're doing is like uh, each level has a sort of a character. So like this one is more horizontal. This one is branching. This one is like three vertical paths intertwined or whatever. And then we define like set of rules for this. Uh, and then we divide it into, uh, like, I don't want to say rooms, but more like sectors or something uh, that uh, are predefined in terms of what character they will have. And then we generate, like, the uh, general path or how, like, the, the shape of the dungeon. And then we're going to populate it, uh, then we're populating it with these blocks or with these chunks uh, and uh, that are connected in a meaningful way. So, you know, so, like, you always select a chunk that has an opening on right and connects uh, through elevation zero. And then, you know, next to it needs to be a chunk that has uh, elevation zero on the left uh, with opening there and there. And, you know, so so like this, we assemble it from pre-made blocks. Right. And so, you know, these blocks can contain puzzles uh, if we want, like very thoughtful puzzles, or they can uh, uh, just be, you know, fighting or just a filler, whatever, it doesn't matter. Uh, and it's actually, you know, I was a little bit worried about this in the beginning, like, you know, how the repetition of this will be, right? Right. Because you have to design all of it. But we've made a very handy editor tool. So, you know, so you can spit out a big chunk of the world in like, you know, five, 10 minutes or whatever. So we literally, wow. at this point, I think we have over a thousand of like really deep pieces of this world that it's being assembled from and it does not feel repetitive. And uh, I think it, it's going to be well received because it's like it's a nice procedural generation, you know. Like the world yeah, yeah, yeah. feels good because it's not fully random. Right. Yeah. Exactly. There's there's a little bit of rhyme and reason to why things are in a certain placement, and that's kind of where my question was headed. Is is really because if this was totally random, it would be you know there would be times where the player would get <laughs> stuck. Yeah. Locked. And, yeah. Absolutely. 
Yeah, yeah. And that was one of my biggest concerns when when playing this game, because there was a point in the demo where I I was like at a point where I was a little bit stuck myself. And I was like, is this me or is this the game? Like, I'm not <laughs> I'm not 100 yeah. percent sure, um, mostly because it's a demo and, you know, like things can go wrong. But uh, that being said, even, eventually I figured it out. Turns out I'm just a dumb dumb. Um, but we got there. Now, one of the things, though, that I wanted to talk about is uh, the combat. Personally, I'm not the biggest Souls-like combat type fan, um, but I think obviously a lot of people are. And I, I do think that it's an interesting combination because you have something that is so extremely fast-paced when it comes to like the movement of the world underneath you. But then the combat is so much more methodical. Um, was there Was there a reason for you putting in this type of combat? Was it just the style that you enjoyed or was it to kind of fit that theme of making it so not everything is so hectic? Uh, so like, uh, first of all, the combat that you experienced in the demo is already a little bit different than it will be in the full version because lots of people were like, you know, make it a little bit faster, make it a little bit snappier. So like, Interesting. Uh, like obviously that's the reason for the demo to see how it's perceived. Uh, so like right. right now, for example, when you end the damage phase, uh, you can either chain into the next uh, attack or you can start walking immediately. Like you don't need to wait for this. You know, there used to be like this period of uh, recovery uh, that you needed yeah, to wait. Yeah. So we, we like shortened this so it's a little bit snappier, but it's still like mm. we're keeping this uh, commitment, like this, uh, you know, attack commitment that the Dark Souls has. And that's like conscious decision because it's just like, uh, we give player the ability to reshape the world mm -hmm. and uh i don't want uh, uh i don't want the gameplay to become like you know top down uh, uh action rpg uh because it's like what's the point of having these puzzles then so right now you know you you need to think a little bit or like get into what you're doing and what weapon you have you know like so you can charge a heavy sword on one platform while moving it and slamming it into the other when you like unleash whirlwind or some sort of hell, you know? And, right. and so like you should adapt your playstyle to the weapon or to the build that you have. And uh, yeah, I, I just, uh, I think it fits, uh, but I'm right. very, very wrong. Here. I mean, uh, yeah. I, I I think there's a little bit of, of personal preference when it comes to that. Like, I it was one of the things where I I wasn't as as sold on the combat personally because I just I don't like the the more uh, I refer to it as clunky, but it's more methodical type of if you go for an attack, you have to be really willing to commit. But I did understand the the idea behind having and and what you were talking about is like if you have so much of a hecticness with you know combat style as well as the world around you it almost limits your interest in using the platforms because then you can it, like it's it, it gives you the the uh you know accessibility to play the way you want but it it gets rid of the need to use both mechanics of being smart about where you're placing the tiles like one of my favorite things to do on this game was cheesing the system in a way of going back and forth with the tile uh, yeah, and like just fighting, hitting someone. Yeah. yeah. Like, and, and if, if I was able to just move quick enough and fight in such a crazy fluid way, I probably wouldn't need to come up with those type of strategies or need to, to play a certain different way. Right. Like what you were saying of it's a roguelike, you're going to get different items. You're going to get different builds that you put potentially go into for that specific run. If it was too, uh, too, 
quick paced with combat, it might be something where people always go for the same build, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, but you know, we have, for example, weapons that have like disengage trait. That means that their attacks can be interrupted with dodge at any point. Like, mm-hmm. that essentially means you're not committing to an attack. So, you know, but obviously you gotta find that way that weapon through random generation. Uh, but it's just that uh, I think there are lots of possibilities of how you can uh, uh, approach this game and how you can play it and how your playstyle can look like. So right, right. Yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about um, character progression and those items, right? Because I thought that one of my favorite things about this was it feels very like very old school RPG type style with leveling up your character in this world, which you don't often see a lot in roguelikes um, just because there's there's so much to it. Well, granted, the older school roguelikes or roguelites uh, have more of this, but it's kind of been tapered out a bit in in more modern games. Um, but you have things like, you know, being able to go into strength, magic, agility. Um, l- let's talk a little bit about kind of what type of characters you can build and, and what type of, uh, play styles there are in this game. Right. So, you know, so this decision comes down from, uh, actually, uh, you know, me enjoying the soul series, but always wanting to try, you know, like magic build or faith build or something else. But in order for me to do that, I would have to invest another 30 hours or something to, you know, properly develop it. Right. While in Loot River, since it's a roguelike, you can, you know, you can just make the build and see how it sticks for one hour and you like, you know, experience that build. So like you can really experiment there because every run is a different and every run you're essentially starting from zero. So uh, that's something that's attractive for me. But uh, in terms of builds, I think, uh, I think, for example, magic abilities in the demo are a little bit limited at this point, but you can, you know, fully utilize that or... So, you know, we have like, you know, obviously strength, which, you know, increases your like knockback power and your damage. Then mm-hmm. we have uh, dexterity, uh, which increases damage on uh, weapons that scale with dexterity. Haha, so it's like, right? And uh, it also increases your movement speed and your attack speed. And by that, I mean, it actually speeds up the animations, the sound and uh, everything like that. Uh, and uh, then we have uh, endurance. So... Endurance is uh, like influencing your poise uh, and critical damage uh, mm-hmm. and parry window. So, uh, you know, you could, for example, uh, make uh, uh, just endurance focus build. You're parrying everyone and no one can interrupt your uh, your attacks. And this like, you know, then works well uh, with different runes uh, you can get or like different charms you can get that are supposed to like provide these uh, synergies or, you know, uh, you could make, because like a mana is recharging through damaging enemies, like in Hyperlight uh, Drifter, you know, you regain ammo mm-hmm. by, because we don't want to everyone just attacking uh, enemies without engaging them on these platforms. Right. Uh, so, you know, so obviously, but if you're putting uh, points only in intelligence to increase your like magic damage and magic output, uh, you're going to have like uh, lower uh uh, lower melee damage uh, output that yep. would recharge your da- your mana, but you could f- invest like you know one or two points in endurance to make like really good parries and uh, critical uh, hits also scale with intelligence. So you could actually like abuse the system and have it already working in a synergy just based on like you know endurance and intelligence. So you know you're just casting stuff out. When you run out of mana, you come and you parry a couple and uh, enemies and deal some critical damage, and then you like recharge your mana and you know 
dealio magic uh yeah rinse and repeat uh, thingies again and uh yeah and then you know we have vitality which you know increases your uh health yeah, yeah yeah and i did enjoy the the vitality uh element where you can hold on to leveling up until you get really low health and then put a point yeah, into it. Yeah, using it there, huh? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. Souls likes aren't my my uh, normal jam, so I'm not the best at it. I I did enjoy going magic build because I was like, wow, this electricity is like really good. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I made it through uh, the demo, but I don't know that I was doing it the right way. <laughs> I don't think there's necessarily a right way. Like whatever is pushing you uh, further is the right way. You know, you can also yeah, yeah, yeah. you can also just skim through, or you can like grind and level up, and you you know that's yeah yeah. I mean that's the whole point, right? It's it's up to whatever uh, preference you have. There's different play styles, and then it's also gonna kind of force you in some ways to experiment a little bit based on what you got. Yeah. Um, I have a quick question because something happened to me during the demo and I wasn't sure if this was just something that I, I didn't know if it was the right thing or, or maybe I destroyed something that caused it. But at one point I was standing on a platform for a while and then it just started to catch on fire. <laughs> Is that yeah. if I'm staying still for too no, long? No, 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 no. Uh, there are a couple of things that could have caused this. Uh, so like on some platforms there could be if they are wooden uh, or like flammable there could be like traps underneath so if you you know oh. if you stand in the middle you can trigger it out and then the flame starts you know spreading on attached wooden platforms or you could have triggered it you know like there's this enemy that when you hit it it emits poison cloud right uh, and if you've had at that point for example a fire spell or a fire weapon and you we would interact with that uh Poison cloud poison also, cloud. you know, yeah. you would also inflame uh, or or whatever. So, oh, but I think I I'm pretty sure you were just like standing near a fire near. trap, and then maybe you like moved a little bit and triggered it. Yeah. Okay. That's probably what happened because I it for the rest of like it was mid midway through me playing the demo. I was like looking around for something and I, and then one of the platforms caught on fire and then another one followed me and I was like, what is happening? And so I just assumed it was that I was taking too long and I was like, all right. So for the rest of the, the latter half of it, I was just like speed running through it. Cause I was like, oh, I don't want to catch on fire again. But maybe that would be an interesting mechanic, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I, it makes sense if you're like moving around too much to to try and speed you up so i was like maybe this is part of it it never happened again but it was always like one thing that i was nervous about throughout the game <laughs> <laughs> um okay so we we talked a little bit about it um that there are these weapons and spells um i i love that you know looking at the variety when it, it comes to uh the outer world from a, a progression standpoint you know there's there's different points that you can put in i believe it's called knowledge um that you're then able to expand the weapons and the different things that are going to show up in each run uh can you talk a little bit about you know the the different type of of weapons that are available in this game yeah right so uh there's like 25 unlockable weapons uh each of them has like uh three unique light animations and uh or like light attacks and one uh, uh chargeable heavy attack mm -hmm. and so uh they are essentially uh split into mm -hmm. i think five uh weapon trees so it's like internally they are called like slashers and like axes and like stabbers and spears and two handers and whatnot uh and mm -hmm. uh 
essentially, uh, they are locked into this sort of uh, tree-like uh, path of exile upgrade tree or something that uh, you know you need to uh, unlock them in certain progression, right? Yeah. And then yeah. as you unlock them, it's like that cell system essentially. So the more weapons uh, you have unlocked, it's like a pool of weapons that is available to be spawned uh, mm-hmm. from chests and enemies at uh, random generation. Right. And those those weapons also seemingly have certain spells that can right. be so, randomly so, generated. So the same thing is, uh, like, you know, like we have in the demo, we have only one merchant, like Freya, uh, for the weapons. And I think uh-huh. you can uh, only unlock one weapon in the demo or something like that, like yep. one additional. And uh, but there are other merchants like that, you know, there's a merchant for spells, there's a merchant for heads, there's a merchant for armor, whatever. Uh, and essentially how it works right now is uh, that when you find a weapon, uh, each weapon has two slots, right? Uh, and uh-huh. in these two slots, uh, it's possible that there are embedded uh, spells, right? So you right. can find a weapon that can also, you know, fire a fireball or like cast a protection shield or something like that. Uh, so you're also like waiting not only your damage output or your like what's your favorite weapon, but also like what are the abilities of that weapon, and right. uh, you know you're switching it throughout the run, uh, yeah, for the next one. Yeah, yeah. Is there any form of you know because I, I think it's interesting. There's so much variability in this game and and RNG, which keeps it fresh and and interesting because you're constantly looking for you know you pick up a weapon, you have to play that game of like. Is this good enough because it might have certain spells that I want, but it does less damage, or maybe it does more damage, but doesn't have the spells that I want. You have to play that kind of game with yourself of what you're going to take. But is there any form of, say, you know, a reroll system, right? Of like, uh, maybe I want to go and spend money at some place to, to change the spell randomly. Yeah, we're actually thinking about adding this. I think it would be a nice, uh, nice thing, like to just have a merchant that can reroll the spells Right, because it's like such a small thing that can be such a you know valuable thing all in all. But uh, honestly, at this point, it's not in the game, but it's very likely going to be in the game uh, for the full release. The full release. Okay, cool. Well, I I look forward to it. Um, I've got a few more questions here. One that kind of just goes into this world because um, there's not too much said uh, in the demo. what exactly is the story of this world, right? I'm sure you don't want to give away, you know, the entirety of it, but can you tell us a little bit about like what's going on, why we're here? Yeah, so like, uh, okay, I don't want to give too much away, but of course not. Uh, of course not. Uh, it's like uh, you're locked in this keep or like in this dungeon uh, where every time you die, uh, like there was this powerful artifact discovered, which when you use, you become sort of immortal, but not really. Like every time you die, you wake up in an alternative reality in you know your own body again and again and again. But like all of these keeps are locked, so like all of this power is like just locked inside of this keep of this dungeon, and it's been happening there for like ages, you know, for hundreds of years. Just like this cycle of death and like waking up in other uh, versions of this. Uh, uh, of this, yeah, keep, mm-hmm. uh, and people, you know, begin slowly going insane, and you know, things happening, and uh, that's also like the reason for the procedural generation. It's like you know, each of the keeps is like somehow the same, but it's also a little bit different. Like in alternative realities, the world would right, 
So like, you know, you build a house there and maybe the other you in the other reality builds a house with one more bedroom or something. And that's also the idea behind the procedural generation. And then there are ways how you can influence this procedural generation, actually. Like there's a character that helps you find more favorable universes. You know, maybe there's a connection between two zones or or, or some things are differently organized. And yeah, so we're playing with that a little bit. Okay. Yeah. All right. Exciting. I, I figured, you know, a lot of the time you don't want to give away everything, um, but good to know for, for those interested in the lore of the game. Um, the last question that I'd like to ask around the game is really just about how development's going in general and kind of when we might expect a game like this. And I know, you know, you're not going to give me an exact date. I'm sure there's still plenty that's going on in the game, um, but I don't see a release date on Steam. Um, can we expect a date reveal anytime soon? Do you know? Are we like, you know, is there a... a... No, it's like this with the with the date reveals. Uh, you're going to find out the date reveal when the game is, like, finished. Like, I'm not going to say anything sooner because it's like, you know, it's also been like this year with a bunch of other games. You just, like, set up a date you have in your mind and that's going to be, you know, like, that's going to be my target release date or whatever. But, like, things happen and... Uh, I might not be able to keep that up or whatever. And for sure, it's like, uh, what's the point? Even? So yeah, we're I just going to come out when it's ready. We're going to say, you know, it live installs in one month or whatever. And that's it. Like, uh, <laughs> I think I'm not going to narrow it down anymore than that. Okay. I respect it. Um, then I only have one last question for you. Uh, thanks again for coming on to the show, but I always like to wrap this up with some advice. Um, for those that are in the indie space that maybe want to get into game development or, you know, might, uh, just be looking for general advice, um, when it comes to, to other things that, uh, revolve around game development, uh, what would you have told yourself if, uh, you know, before you got started on Loot River, if you could give yourself some advice? I, I think I don't want to be like. I don't want to give misleading advice, you know, I'm not like, I'm not like highly skilled, super pro that knows everything, you know, it's just like, I, as I said in the beginning, I'm just like stumbling from, you know, things to things, but I think it's important to, you know, to just experiment and just do what you enjoy because in the end, if, if nothing comes out of it financially or something, at least I can say that I had a really good time making it, you know, and uh, so, yeah, I would just say, just do what you enjoy and make sure that it's as polished as possible when you present it to people and then you'll see or you <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, for those listening, Loot River is currently in development, but if any of this sounded interesting, you got to go check out their Steam page. Make sure you wishlist the game so you're updated the minute that, you know, Miro says, hey, we're ready. Uh, you'll know and you'll be, you'll be able to get the game. Uh, Miro, once again, thank you so much for joining today. Thank you, Josh. It was really nice. And thank you everyone for listening, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah, you gotta you gotta <laughs> gotta uh talk to the audience again. You can't say hello to them and then not say goodbye. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> Take care. <laughs> okay, bye bye.